0: Set with I believe a more
1: Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. It's David, just jumping in here real quick uh, before we get into the episode. It's got me, Aaron, and Roger from No Motive, because we're going to talk about No Motive's diagram for healing, as well as daylight breaking. Uh, it's a ton of fun. It's a great conversation. But I did just want to say before we get to that, uh, we are now on Patreon. If you like what we do here at the show and you want to support it and you want to get more out of it, head on over to uh, patreon.com growingpunkpod, or you can just go to our website, find the link growingpunkpod.com. Uh, For just 5 bucks a month, you get so much more. You get all the regular episodes. Obviously, those are going to stay free. But if you join our Patreon, you get yourself bonus episodes. You get exclusive blogs, reviews, exclusive videos. Uh, We've got a private group chat that you can be a part of where we can talk about the show and all things punk rock. Or just whatever. If you want to talk about your favorite sandwich meats, we can do that too. Um, and some other goodies that are on the way as well. So again, patreon.com slash growingpunkpod or just head to growingpunkpod.com. Let's get into the interview, the, the the episode, whatever you want to call it. It's Roger of No Motive chatting with myself and Aaron on Growing Up Punk. This time I've act- I have act—I literally have plural friends because that, that, uh, <laughs> usually it's just Aaron and I. So hello, Aaron. We'll hey. do that first. Yeah, what's but up? You heard, you, yeah, you heard a, a little chuckle there in the background. That would be Roger Camaro of, well, a multitude of bands, but most importantly <laughs> for this episode for No Motive, you, you, you've you've done like, I was looking at this, uh, we'll get into this a little bit, but you've literally played half of the instruments in No Motive.
2: <laughs> I, I have. It's weird.
3: <laughs> deal. Yeah, it's yeah. been fun. No more so, a one man band. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've, yeah, I've
2: tried. I tried to. Uh, you know, with with me being able to claim that I've played multiple instruments, I think everybody else, for the most part, can also say that. Oh, there you they've, go. They've they've done the same. So,
1: well, there you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to get into talking about, uh, a couple of no motive albums diagram for healing and daylight breaking. We're going to talk about, and we kind of went with those because well, Roger, I, I first met you because I had you on the show to talk about and the sadness prevails and the 20th anniversary of that. And I thought, well, we don't, we don't need to necessarily rehash that. Let's get some more details on other no motive records. So that's, that's kind of where we're going to go. But before we get to that, now uh, we usually start the show by kind of—I <laughs> and didn't prep you on this, Roger. So oh, no worries. So so let's see what happens. But uh, we yeah. usually start the show sharing, you know, kind of like some newer because we talk about a lot of older music. So we like to share some some newer music that we're listening to. But I also oh, wanted cool. to do this as just like this super um, cheesy like softball lob because you guys <laughs> actually just released something within the last few weeks, like the first new music from No Motive in what feels like forever. Out real quick, the song's "Archangel," but how did that? Where did it come from? I guess
2: um, the the compilation itself that we're a part of. It's called Nardcore for Life. Um, it's basically a we call it like a family affair because one of one of my close friends and bandmates in the band Retaliate, uh, Zach Nelson. He he was the one that kind of procured the entire compilation and, um, all of the, pretty much for the most part, all of the bands that are on the, uh, this comp filled with, I think 36 bands were all part of the, uh, Narghor family, the Oxnard, Ventura County, uh, punk rock scene. So, um... There's other bands that haven't really been all that, uh, active in the past several years. Um, one that comes to mind is the band In Control that, uh, Zach played guitar in. So with, and for that band, they, they were like a pretty important part of the history of, of NARCOR. So with them kind of representing themselves on this compilation, and some of the the more classic bands like Ill Repute and Stalag 13, um, we were asked if, if we wanted to contribute something. And uh, the rules to the engagement were that you would have to give, uh, you would have to contribute an unreleased song and it would need to be two minutes or less because... <laughs> Because the compilation um, was was put on vinyl. And to be able to get, like, I think there's 24 bands on the vinyl, 36 bands on the digital release. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in order to fit all these songs, we kind of had to kind of lay down some rules in order to have enough space on the vinyl for all these bands to be on. So um, we all kind of, the four of us, um, Discussed whether or not we'd be interested, and and everybody was was on board. So, um, it it was pretty simple, really. Uh, we we were approached to be on the comp before we had gotten together to play the reunion shows last year, and so uh, we were already kind of active again, doing practicing and and all that stuff, and uh, Max had written a couple of riffs which ended up becoming the song and um while we didn't really get to hash it out together as a band we we still all kind of contributed by doing doing our thing it was kind of strange because we didn't really get many chances to practice for those two shows as a full band um i live about 2 hours from from everybody else um I'm like kind of in the middle. Max is the most south of everybody in San Diego and um runs a runs a custom woodworking company, so it was pretty hard for him to kind of break out of his schedule and and life to to get together and for him it'd be like a 3 to 4 hour drive to go to practice. So we did a lot of the the, the jamming as a three piece uh with Pat and Jeremy and I, so we didn't really have the luxury of being able to kind of hash it out old school style, um, like, together. So m- making the song was uh, was a little strange, but at the same time, we're kind of used to it. That's kind of how we've, we've had to operate in general, making music together, um, n- no motive or non-no motive related. So that's wow. kind of how
1: that happened. It's pretty... Pretty pumped to hear that there was new No Motive music. Didn't expect it because I mean, you you mentioned sort of the uh, the reunion shows that you played last year, and there was you know the re-release of uh, and the sadness prevails, and then there's the the EP that came that you kind of did you know some some updated versions or whatever of some songs, mm-hmm. and so that's pretty sweet that uh, that there was new music in the works, and you surprised us all. Or at least you surprised me. I don't know. Maybe 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 it was you know known <laughs> everywhere and I just just like living under a rock but uh, uh, we, we kept it
2: under wraps pretty pretty good I mean we I think we alluded to some hints maybe around the time after we were finished playing those shows that we weren't done and that we'd be doing right. something but we didn't really say what it was so sure. sure um yeah it's exciting it's weird we're we're like all very much in our own worlds um the other th- three dudes in the band are are family men. They're all they're they're dads and have uh, you know kind of busy lives. And so, when this song, when the compilation came out, what was it? Last two weeks ago, maybe now or last week.
4: I yeah, some, I
1: think that it was about two weeks ago.
2: Um, we we have like a a band group text message thread going and. I think we're all so wrapped up in our lives that we didn't even acknowledge that hey this song that is the first song we've released in like almost a decade uh yeah. just got put out and we didn't even like talk about it. It was kind of strange. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's funny. I mean, the world's <clears throat> different as is I think for bands releasing music currently yeah. and then here you guys are doing something for the first time and cuz I think yeah, it's been almost almost ten years. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty awesome. Aaron, uh, what are you? What have you been listening to?
3: Yeah, I want to give a shout out to uh, the band Drake Dunder. They're a band we've talked about on here before, and we've given them good reviews. They released uh, a new single called uh, "Just Like Me."
0: I'm useless, so ruthless, I used to
3: And it's going to be on their um, deluxe version of their self-titled that came out at the beginning of this year. Um, it comes out in November, I believe. So I think there's another new song that's going to be on there. And, um, yeah, I, I love that band. If you liked um, their self-titled, or not self-titled, uh, the last album they released, or their only album, I guess, um, <laughs> then you will like this song. And so, yeah, it was also a nice surprise. They had posted on social media that they were going to be releasing something, um, I didn't necessarily expect new music because, you know, that was already yeah. this year that they put out that album. So, yeah, that's, uh, I guess, uh, one of the ways bands have to kind of adapt during this time. You know, it maybe it would seem kind of odd to release a deluxe version of your album within the same year that you released that one. But, you know, it's a good way to kind of push people that maybe didn't catch on to it first time or forgot about it or whatever. So, yeah, I'm excited to uh, to hear that other new song as well.
1: Yeah, I, I tried to listen to it, but it's not not on Apple Music yet. Anyway, so I guess yeah, use it on is it on Spotify? Is that where you heard it, or did you get it on YouTube?
3: Uh, yeah, might been, Yeah, it was on. Yeah, like a, a link for a video. Yeah, actually okay. released a video for it too. So,
1: yeah, sweet. Um, the 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 record or band, I guess that I want to mention is Low Tom. Uh, they released LP two, so their second full length. Uh, specifically the song "Out of Here." Now, Low Tom is um, David Bazan is kind of the guy behind Pedro the Lion, one of my favorite songwriters. I didn't even know this was coming out. I think maybe when it came out, like I was like, oh yeah, I think I heard something about that, but I wasn't wasn't looking for it. But it's uh, it's just kind of like a real, real good like indie rock with you know like big riffs, almost like classic rock sort of riffs and some big open guitars. I don't know, it's really good. I really dig it, and if you like. Um, I guess strong songwriters I don't know if that's how to describe it but Dave Bazan he's one of the he's one of the best <laughs> should say before we get into the episode proper before we start talking about these two records today uh go follow us on our social medias at growing punk pod you'll find us on instagram and twitter aaron and myself you'll find our twitters and instagrams linked there as well roger do you want to share yours
2: yeah i would say the record that has made a, a deep impact that has been recently released is the band be well um, oh god yes <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I if you
1: good. I was gonna say real quick, um as of when we're recording this, just yesterday we uh, released an interview with Brian McTernan. I saw that well. yeah, man, that record is beyond good. and it's one that came out of left field for me and did, like had no idea it was coming. but mm. um, yeah, share your thoughts real quick on that record
2: um i'm I'm a huge uh, McTurnan fan in general, like in in terms of a songwriter. And a producer, he's, he's kind of been one of those huge influences on me growing up. Um, Battery was is a huge influence uh, on No Motive, really, and and for me personally. So to have him have a new band that's along the kind of like a mature... To me, it sounds like a somewhat more mature version of Battery, an older, uh, wiser Battery and, um, of course, his, uh, supporting cast of musicians is, is, uh, incredible. Um, Shane and Peter from, from Fairweather, those are two absolute excellent musicians, great dudes. Um, and, uh, who's the bass player, Aaron? Oh, right. Who, uh, one of the guys from Bane's the bass player. Yeah.
1: I was gonna say I know a guy from Bane is in the band, but I don't know I don't know names. <laughs> and
2: then uh, one of the guitar players from Darkest Hour. So it's kind of like an all-star band, and yeah. and and um, like all those ba- every all the bands represented in this in this uh, if if it's a side project or if it's like a legit full-time band, I, I, it's it's just wonderful. I love yeah, it. Yeah,
1: it's <laughs> it's so good that that record. The moment I put it on, I've I i do not know how many times I've listened to it since it came out. It's fantastic um yep. and Aaron claims that he told me about the band and the song like one of the early release songs or whatever and I was like I did I couldn't yeah I was like <laughs> I don't remember that at all so I clearly didn't clearly didn't follow the link but uh so thank you Aaron <laughs> for showing me be well <laughs>
3: you're welcome
1: yeah uh also you can find us growingpunkpod.com we've got reviews blogs all sorts of stuff going on there you can find the podcast there but you can also find it on all your favorite podcast apps So if you're listening somewhere that's not your favorite podcast app, go find it on your favorite podcast app. Anyway, let's uh, get into these No Motive records. Now, we're talking about these records because uh, we just started, um, our listeners can't see this, but Aaron's wearing an MXPX hoodie right now. We just started Mm -hmm. a series, we've done one episode on MXPX, and I thought, let's do, to kind of break it up a little bit, let's do an episode where uh, we talk about, you know, maybe bands that we saw that opened for MXPX that we really came to love. And so, I mean, for me, immediately, No Motive, you guys came to mind because uh, that's really the first time, and maybe Aaron can echo this, but that's really the first time that I can remember going and seeing a band and the opening band who I had no idea who they were blew me away. And I actually came home from that show with No Motive merch, but no MXPX merch. <laughs> so well, I don't know, Aaron, what your <laughs> what your initial memories were of seeing seeing these guys... Yeah, well, that
3: that show was like kind of the first major kind of club show I went to, and so I think a part of me, like, I don't want to say wasn't paying attention to their bands because I did watch them, but you know I was just so excited to see MXPX for the first time. Um, but yeah, I, I remember you know loving you guys and too bad Eugene on that show, and and it was just cool you know to see a band you know that I hadn't really heard of before. I mean, at that point, it was still kind of through music magazines or liner notes or whatever, and and so it was just really cool to see to see a new band. And uh, I, c- I can't remember if I if I got an album then or if it was later on, but yeah, definitely a band that's you know kind of been been through the plays over the years. And um, yeah, so it's it's cool to cool to have you on after you know seeing you when I was so that was in '99. So that was yeah, it would have been a 15. So. It's oh only taken uh, 20 years to see you face-to-face <laughs> again.
1: So <laughs> nice to go. see you again. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Yeah. Um, so, so, oh, I was going to say, Roger, real quick, what was your first impression of seeing No Motive open for MXPX?
2: <laughs> oh, man. I'm trying to think what was the actual first show that we ever played with those dudes. Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure we, we had a drive all the way up to Seattle to start the tour. Right. So I am assuming it was Seattle, or maybe it was even Spokane, where we played our first show with them. And so, um, man, it, it was it was pretty surreal. I mean, I am I am not that much older than you, dudes, and <laughs> so like when ninety nine, I was uh, I think I was I turned eighteen on that tour.
1: Wow, crazy!
2: And so. Um, I was listening to the same bands that you guys were, and so, yeah. you know, going to high school listening to MXPX, it was, it was a trip, just like all the other uh, bands that that we were lucky enough to tour with at at a young age, namely like For Good sure. Riddance and and Face to Face. So, being in that position to, to be able to do a tour with with MX was was pretty wild. Um. I think being at the age that I was, and and these kind of new experiences, it was it was a lot to take in. You know, I was pretty intimidated by the whole thing. So
1: for sure. <laughs> um, so you guys would have been touring the album and the sadness prevails. Uh, so we're going to talk about the album that came after that, which is Diagram for Healing. <laughs> excited for this record because as I mentioned, I went and saw you guys with MXPX, bought Ed and Sadness Prevails, listened to it, loved it. Like it was something new to me as far as, you know, kind of what I was familiar with and what I was really listening to. Because to that point, it was a lot more of your straightforward kind of pop punk, skate punk sort of stuff. And you guys sort of opened some doors with, um, you know, kind of some of the sounds you were experimenting with at the time. So when Diagram for Healing came out, I was, you know... Like, it, it, it was, I was in-store buying it sort of day it came out or what have you. And um, it was really the start of my super enjoyment of Vagrant Records. <laughs> like, that was kind of like right in... The, I want to say maybe right before Vagrant really... Maybe you can speak to this, but right before they kind of really took off or right around then, anyway.
2: It was right around the time. I mean, that, by, once Diagram had, had come out, I think they had already, they already had the Get Up Kids, they had yeah. Saves the Day um, an Alkaline Trio so the, the machine was, was definitely going full steam ahead and um, yeah there was definitely a difference in terms of their the label's ability to promote the band and, and to help get us um, you know, just we were able to piggyback on, on so much because of the the roster and and how well um kind of putting all these bands together went over you know the vagrant america tours and all that stuff and yeah um yeah it it was a it was a wild time watching the the label grow before our our eyes was was a wild experience and for it for it to happen at the age that we were at i in hindsight wish we were just like i don't know three, four years older so that we were able to really kind of appreciate things on a, on a more mature level because, Mm. um, you know, me having turned 18 on the tour that, that you saw us, Max was probably (laughs) 15 or something like that. That's insane. (laughs) And, um, Jeremy and Pat probably were had just turned 21 or somewhere yeah. in that time frame you know so yeah. um i I, would, I don't know if everybody would agree with with my feelings my sentiment about this i think that we probably took quite a bit for granted being that we were so young and seeing the progression of everything it, it was almost like i guess this is normal this is just how it works Right. Mm. Um, And not until years upon years later, could we really step back and be and kind of look at the big picture and and all the opportunities that we were afforded, um, having been a part of Vagrant and basically being their their baby band. Uh, I think I, I wish I appreciated what they had done for us at a in a higher level like back then as right. i do now
1: because you guys were one of the were you the first band they signed or one of the first bands they signed we
2: were we were one of the first bands we weren't the first band um yeah. i think the first band that they signed was the go to hells and they put out one record and then after that they signed a band called boxer yeah um and i believe they also put out one record um and so I I I'm pretty sure by the time um No Motive was a full time touring band and by the time especially by the time we put out Diagram, I think that um we were the only like original right. um band left on the roster and from there it was the the get up kids and then obviously it just kind of skyrocketed from totally. there. <laughs>
1: Um, my, I remember my first impressions about this album being, holy, they sound so much more polished, um, because there's just an overall, like, it, it, it's hard for me to explain like the progression from Sadness to this album in just overall, uh, it, it feels like it's almost more like it, it's more of a simple sound. I don't know if that's accurate or not, or if that's just how the production kind of pulls it off, um. But I just remember also feeling that the record sounds more happy. When I look at the lyrics, I don't know if that's necessarily true across the board, but it has a happier sound than obviously sadness, which is ironic that it's called sadness. But um, so what kind of, do, do, you, do you find that yourself, that it kind of has that a, a very different sort of no motive feel, but still no motive?
2: Absolutely. I, I, I think I might be able to explain some of that. As well. That's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with the thing about the three records on Vagrant, they were all recorded at the same studio. Um, this the studio itself had made some significant changes in its um, layout, um, from sadness into um, diagram. So. Uh, when we recorded Sadness, it was recorded to tape, no editing, just about as raw as, as you can get. The drum room where we where we, re, where we tracked um, Sadness eventually became the, the control room where the mixing console was for Diagram and all the other stuff after that. So after that, the, they had built a much, much larger drum room. So that kind of explains the difference in, in like the drum sounds themselves. And um, from like in terms of the guitar tones, on Sadness, I think we leaned heavily on Max and Jeremy's amps that they were playing for years already. Right. And, and on Diagram, um, I believe Trevor kind of unleashed the fury with his own, he brought his own arsenal <laughs> of, of of amps um, for them to kind of integrate into the recording and I think it was kind of um maybe the climate of music was changing and it was getting more and more poppy um, you know by the time by the time we we were writing diagram um blink had obviously created a, a a whole new era of pop punk yeah so to speak and and MXPX was very much a part of that and so um th- those two bands were were you know i i'd say they were kind of a heavy influence on on us as well as like the the classics like face to face and but um i think especially like a band like MXPX where you have somebody like Tom who wasn't playing like super metallic guitar tones. You know, he, he was kind of like a, he was playing like a more classic overdriven amp sound. And I think that was like a, that had a been an influence on, on somebody like Max. Um, I know that when we, when we toured with them, the, the tone was like a big thing that we took away from, hmm. from that experience and a, in a big influence. So, um, so the, the change in, in style is, is probably largely due to the influence our peers had on us at that point. And, um, maybe, maybe our desire to always kind of progress and not do the same thing over and over again, you know, I think, totally, yeah. uh, whether, whether that's, To our detriment or to whatever, I mean, we could never make the same record twice. Even before, (laughs) even before I joined the band, like everything the band has ever released, um, has sounded vastly different from the, you know, from release to
3: release.
1: Aaron, do you remember your first kind of impressions of, of this record?
3: no and i don't even know when i would have gotten this um like the year this came out i mean i was still living in in a small town so the the store in the mall that sold cds didn't really ever have anything cool especially from you know (laughs) smaller labels like vagrant and i know you know in that scene it would have been a bigger one but you know for bringing into a small town where three of us were going to buy those albums so I don't know. I feel like I heard more songs like on compilations and stuff um, than I did the full album until I don't know when that would have been. Probably a few years even after. Maybe I mean, even the next album. I, yeah, I can't remember exactly. I, I remember seeing your guys' name on a lot of compilations, and and today I was just looking it up on uh, on Spotify, and and uh, they had a bunch of those compilations on there that I had, and so that's probably more so kind of how I I familiarized myself with um, your new music kind of over those years.
1: Hmm. Um, Real quick, before we get into some of the songs, Roger, maybe you can uh, give us a bit of insight on the artwork on this album. Do you know, like, so what was... I guess was there was there a concept that you guys had going in, or was it just sent off to someone, or you know, because the look of that artwork is very Vagrant Records of the time, I find, <laughs> which is makes me think that they kind of maybe sent it out. But can you fill us in a bit on it?
2: I'm looking at it right now. It, I, have a, <laughs> I have a I have a framed promo poster of it. So, right. <clears throat> excuse me um, the the three albums that Vagrant put out. Well, basically, from from sadness all the way to winter long, uh, we worked with um, our our good friend Gabe Cano to to do the the art on all through all of those records. And so, um, I I believe it's pretty much Jer- on Jeremy in terms of like the concept behind every album cover that we've done um the the girl on the cover itself is actually uh Jeremy's wife's sister. Oh, cool. And um I think the the whole kind of broken up kind of kind of uh look of it almost like kind of like shattered glass in a way. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's it's uh kind of depicting like, you know, there being a heart on the CD itself and and this image of this woman, it's kind of like, if you think about sadness and just kind of how depressing and, and dark it is musically, sonically, and visually, I think perhaps Jeremy wanted to have some sort of contrast to that. And so like you were saying, the music itself is is uh considerably popular and perhaps happier yep. sounding. Yep. Um and lyrically, yeah, there's there's still a lot of there's still a lot of darkness and, and struggle going on lyrically, but I could say perhaps that on an album like Sadness, where uh I would say every song is is kind of spoken written from from Jeremy's personal experiences in life um, diagram is more kind of like a documentation of not only his own experiences but kind of bringing in the stories of maybe some of us in the band kind of singing about us and singing about things that our friends have experienced and so um, it's just it was just a whole new light. In, in how he wanted to approach things lyrically. And so um, I think that all played a part in why this album cover is the way it is. And of course, the change in, in the music climate, the, the things, the sound getting popular, the image getting a little more, um, I don't know what what the term would be, um fashionable in a way i'm, <laughs> sure, I'm not yeah. sh- I'm, I'm not sure but um we we really never wanted and i don't think we did really try to exploit that side of things um but i i can remember that that's when things started to get a little strange where um companies like hurley would would partner up with with punk bands and like, and then, you know, bring in Vans and and other skate companies. You That seemed like more of, it wasn't the birth of how music and action sports and branding kind of came to be one, but I know that has started before this whole era, but it, it seemed like it was such a huge part in how things ended up becoming what they did in years to come after like uh, right. this this release in this particular year of music
1: yeah um, let's get into some of the songs that were picked first one being Broken and Burned <laughs> kind of initial thoughts or your notes that you had on this one
3: so this one kind of the the whole album reminded reminds me so so here's what i kind of broke it down to genre wise it reminds me of 90s grunge alternative mixed with <laughs> punk rock roots and emo under emo undertones <laughs> so i know it's a whole handful but add, that kind of as i was listening through this you know like there'd be parts so it's like oh that just reminds me of more of kind of like a 90s alternative band but then the ca- but then the chorus is you know re- really catchy and has you know more punk and then some of the verses on the songs you know maybe some more of those emo undertones um, yeah and this one i just found yeah it was a really interesting song i love the variation of the sound and the dynamics and um, yeah I, d- I just really like the song overall
1: yeah the i i one of my notes that kind of keeps coming up a few times is that you guys it, like as as a band you really really leaned into I guess like the quiet loud dynamic at least what it, what, I would, what I noticed it felt like is you know you might have a quieter start or like a bit of a louder start go quiet and then go loud and kind of stay loud for the end but there was this real like dynamic push and um, I mean that's my very first note on this is that <laughs> you know it's got a hard hitting intro but then it quiets down for the verse and then it kind of comes back in and um, I think was this was this one of the ones that you picked, Rogers? One of one of your songs? I can't. I should have written that down. I
2: but. I believe so. I I well, yeah. I think I was torn between, um, broken and break it down. Yeah, I think I ended up picking break it down, and then the more I thought about it, I was like, maybe I should have picked gimme strength because that seems to be <laughs> that seems to be a song that has had a lot of impact on on. Yeah. Life itself, but yeah, it's I think I, I I think I picked break it down because of me wishing that it had m- more attention brought to it. But anyway, we'll get to that later. But
4: yeah.
2: um, broken and burned, um, I I try to get opinions from from the dudes about about these songs and these two albums. And one of the um, one of the things that both Pat and Max said was that that song kind of wrote itself we were mm. we were just jamming and i honestly forget who who wrote the intro lead it's likely max came up with that and um if you think about it it kind of sounds like jamming like mellow jamming because right. you know we'd start off with this intro and kind of hammer on that for a while and then yes you're absolutely um, right about the the dynamics the loud quiet loud thing um i would say that's largely um bands like pixies and and nirvana yeah most definitely kind of were huge on that with that sort of thing and um i think around this era of time face to face had already released ignorance is bliss. And mm-hmm. that was, that was also kind of a large influence on us, especially obviously Trevor producing this record. Um, I think these are all things that we thought about and things that we were inspired by. And so um, the, the whole thing from going from loud to the quiet verse and having me kind of just make a baseline and those dudes, kind of, you know, riffing, quiet, mm-hmm. clean. Um, there's just so many influences that come into play, or that I can think of, like Sunny Day Real Estate. You know, if you want to bring up, like the emo kind of uh, influence, I like they uh, they were a huge, huge one for us, and yeah. may- maybe Far Far is another huge influence on us. So I'm just trying to. Bring. I'm just trying to think about back then, like what might have dr- driven us to to write a song that way. But it kind of wrote itself.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I was going to say for this record and sadness, I also think that that was kind of. I mean, that was for sure part of your sound, and maybe, maybe that, maybe that just always was part of your sound. Even when I think about daylight breaking, um, which we'll get into a little bit more, but. Uh, yeah, like in the you know, as I mentioned with sadness, in the world of like kind of music that I was mainly listening to at that point, it was offering something very different, uh, but also you know something that was overly familiar. Is with when Aaron said, you know, you know, it, with the the quiet verses kind of reminding him of you know like '90s alternative or whatever, or maybe more emo, and then these like straight up kind of like pop punk, more anthemic, big, catchy choruses. Uh, it was it was opening doors, I think, um, at least for for my ears, it was opening doors. Uh, but let's get into the next song that was on the list, which is "Get a Life." <laughs> there are a couple songs on this record that just have always stood out for me and with this one the guitar riff that gets played like the lead riff it's super simple and all i can think of to like explain it is it just feels like this you talked about you know the the guy saying that broken and burned kind of wrote itself like with get a life it feels like that that lead riff just wrote itself it's like yep this is what i'm doing this is where i'm going um and it's always been a song that kind of stood out to me. Aaron, what were some of your your notes on that one?
3: Yeah, this one definitely kind of reminded me of a, kind of a modern take on more old school pop punk. It, yeah. You know, yeah, the, those simple chords reminded me kind of almost like Ramone's Screeching Weasel, something like that. You know, mm-hmm. just that kind of simple guitar pattern, but it's super catchy, um, you know, but it's got more depth and layers than, than those bands ever really had, and um, so that makes it more of an interesting song. It's got a really catchy and memorable chorus, um, which seems to be what kind of, at least for me, really carried the song kind of through to the end. Um, you know, I like it that the end, it kind of adds, you know, not, I don't know if you call it gang vocals, but, you know, kind of more people singing that um, singing that part at the end. And so it kind of finishes that last chorus and brings it through to the end of the song. And you know, So, yeah, I mean, I, I've said it a lot on this podcast that, you know, a lot of the bands we talk about, it might be, you know, more simple, structured songs and musically, but... You know, if you have the right layers and depth and dynamics in a song, it can be a really interesting song. I think this is one of those.
1: Totally, I wanted to point out real quick, just in kind of the um, talking about, you know, going from in sadness sounding more sad than you know this record sounding more happy. The line in this song that says "I'll write this sad song the wrong way and leave out the happy ending," I think yeah. it's just like it's kind of this perfect <laughs> this perfect fit because when you when you When you look at the lyrics, I don't know that they got, you know, any necessarily for the most part, any brighter or happier, but they sound happier. So it's like you're writing the sad song the wrong way, you know, sort of thing. It's pretty great.
2: It's definitely, definitely has a melancholy kind of uh, vibe to it. Um, I've made some notes. Uh, I I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, another year on the streets version of this song.
1: Oh, okay. So that's, I was going to bring up, um, Another year on the streets, but I didn't realize it was different. Mm-hmm.
2: So okay. um I tried to find it on Spotify. I believe somebody made a playlist of the songs that are on it and yeah. they pulled it from the record, which yeah. isn't which aren't the actual rec- the versions that are on the comp. So the comp we um celebrate and get a life were brand new songs for us. They both ended up being on the record, um, but we recorded those with Chad Blinman. So it was he played the part of the producer and the engineer, whereas Trevor produced the the full length and, and Chad mm-hmm. um, and him mixed the record. But the ending of of the song, that whole backup chorus thing, the get a new life, get a new life thing. Um, originally it went so good so good so good so good instead of get a new life get a new life and um when we recorded it that time i remember vividly um after we submitted it and then we went to go re-record it for the album both trevor and rich the owner of vagrant were like there is absolutely no way you are going to use so good, so good as your backup for this last chorus. So um I do remember that call being made and that get a new life would be the catchphrase at the end of the song, which which is funny to think about. So yeah, if anybody can find that old compilation version, that's definitely different. And um we actually recorded Celebrate and Get a Life at this place called King Sound where diagram was mixed. So that's okay. a little interest, interesting tidbit. Um it I I can't ever listen to that song and not chuckle when I hear him sing about us getting to go to New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I of of our years of touring and and whatever memories we have, I I do remember every time that we got to go to new jersey we would have such a great time whether it was making friends or um having great shows uh, but never once did i think about how strange of a state new jersey really is <laughs> and i always kind of not that i'm i don't want i'm not talking shit about new jersey it's a very unique state very unique place but it was almost like this golden place to to know Motive, and it wasn't until the later years after touring with Motive and kind of moving on to 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 other bands, or like when I when I was touring with RX. Um, RX is a perfect example because it's like I would be so excited to go to New Jersey when they when RX bandits would have a show there, and they'd be like, "What the fuck are you excited about going <laughs> to New Jersey for?" Like. We can't ever turn left. What are you excited about? And uh and like it's funny it's just funny to think about. But um yeah. Uh it the uh the musical influence and the tones of that song, all I can really think about is that hoodie that you're wearing. <laughs> there
1: you go. So MX. Yeah, right on. That's yeah. that
2: that would be if if there was a song that was most definitely MX influenced. I would say "Get a Life" is 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 probably up that's there. It. Yeah, mm, that's sweet. Awesome.
1: So let's let's move on to uh, then. I guess the next song, which was one that you mentioned earlier, Roger. Let's break it down. to why this is one of your favorites off the album Um, I guess Aaron did you have any any notes on this one
3: yeah so we did a a series on Alkaline Trio and one of the things that came up with them that reminded me um, of your band as well as just that really awesome line that balance between dark and pop sensibilities And so I I love the moments on on this album and this song. Um, I think this song is one of those where, you know, it's like one part, it's like, okay, this is, you know, kind of darker, but then it just kind of totally changes it around. And it just makes the song really interesting because you don't always, you know, it's a bit harder to predict. Um, Yeah, there's there's lots of really cool um, vocal things on this song. And, um, you know, even just simple parts like uh, where he's, Things you know, I think it's Tai. I'm um, like just kind of those little shifts in the, in uh, the way you pronounce words. You know, make the song stand out and and uh, yeah, a lot, lots of cool parts on this song. And so yeah, just between the the dark and poppy and the little vocal hooks and all those things that just make it a really good song.
1: Yeah, I often and, it, and like with no motive. And then you brought up Alkaline Trio. They were kind of like these two bands that I sort of. Um, lumped together in similar sounds like you didn't sound like each other but you you both to me felt like um like that you you represented the best part of like the vagrant records thing for me uh where it was like that meeting of yes you have some obvious emo sort of influences in here with punk rock now obviously the alkaline trio they they got a little darker with some of their their lyrics which was always you know a nice a nice sort of twist or whatever but Um, why was, why is this song one of your, one of your favorites off this record?
2: Um, I think I, I really like the sense of urgency in, in Jeremy's vocals. Um, and we, we never really got to play this song all too much live. And I would say that's because it's, if you were ever to see them play the riffs, it's, like the most ridiculous finger stretching <laughs> in order to make the chords happen. And um, I'm just thinking about the song in like a in like the music the music standpoint. it It was just a lot of fun to write. It was a lot of fun. the like the bass line was fun to play. and I just remember hearing Jeremy hearing the the playback for the first time. After he had recorded the vocals to it, and and kind of being blown away by the energy and like the amount of heart that that comes through in the song, and I, I kind of never forgot that, and so, yeah. um, that's that's probably why I wanted to to pick it because there's, you know, it, like I was saying, maybe I should have picked a song like "Give Me Strength" because it it's had much more of an impact on maybe like in general on people's lives and and for us as a band but like i feel like break it down is maybe one of those songs that maybe was never really saw much attention and i just wanted to uh talk about it just (laughs) because that's
1: fair because yeah i think last time we talked you had mentioned that with sadness uh the kind of change in sound was that the guys had kind of learned and discovered what you called ugly chords yes absolutely <laughs> so, so were you just describing an ugly chord that oh yeah in there, you know <laughs> yeah. one of the,
2: probably the most extreme ugly chord progression
0: <laughs>
3: that's
1: awesome yeah <laughs> all right so the last track off this album we're going to talk about is born again
0: I set the fire
1: of my uh, my picks and I've always loved this song like as a closer I think it closes the album really well Um, you know it it plays with that quiet loud dynamic again but I think almost more extreme like the quiet on this song is more um, I don't even know the right word to to describe it but it's just it's it's even quieter (laughs) yeah Um, just you know as it's gentle almost as uh, Jeremy starts singing, you know, kind of the, the chorus to start the song. And I love that, too, that it starts with the chorus, but it starts with a quiet version of the chorus. Yep. Um, and then yeah, uh, it, it gets stuck in my head regularly. In fact, probably every time I'm starting a fire, like we're getting ready to roast some marshmallows or whatever, <laughs> I'm saying, I
0: set the fireplace. place." <laughs> uh,
1: but oh, awesome. uh, Yeah. And the, the finish on this song just is so kind of intense when like those octave chords just get hammered or whatever towards the end it's just it's such a great song Um, Aaron I know you're not as big of a fan of like kind of slower songs but (laughs) what were your thoughts on this one
3: yeah yeah similar to yours I was I was interested to hear um, just on you know was it you know kind of how intentional was it for you guys you know in picking that closing song Um, you know was that a conscious thing or was it just kind of you know a least favorite song or whatever one just kind of happened to be at the end or because um, that's I'm, I mean I've brought that up a few times on the show just I love having a good a good closer and that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be you know like some high energy closer but just something that you know wraps up the album well it's you know memorable enough to just you know make you think okay that was a good listen and um, just kind of makes you you know kind of think about the songs or meditate on it or whatever and so what, what was that like um, you know, putting together our track listing and, and picking this for the last song.
2: That's that's a, a great question because I think we really, truly cared about the this album sequences. Um, we And being the kind of band that we've been, we're like about as schizophrenic of a band as I can imagine. Um, but in, in terms of that song, Being the Closer um i i don't know if this is actually true this is what what max said and i i didn't get a chance to run this by jeremy but i'm pretty sure we are pretty sure that he had written born again just to write a song and i don't know if he necessarily ever thought that the band would want to use it as a no motive song um and you could kind of like you could spot a Jeremy song from a mile away, like uh they're usually the ones that are have just a straight na kind of picking real straightforward mm-hmm. real cruising um I'm pretty sure he wrote I'm pretty sure he wrote get alive um and like solemn like those sort of songs yeah so um if you're thinking about how born again starts. Just imagine Jeremy sitting in his bedroom writing it on an acoustic guitar, and then us having yeah. having to turn it into a uh, a punk ballad or whatever you want right. to call it. Yeah, call yeah. it. Um, but yeah, the I I do. I don't want to speak for Jeremy, but I' pretty sure that the lyrics kind of um, bring up a lot of personal things that maybe maybe not necessarily he was struggling with. He might've been singing about friends or people that were, that were close to us and kind of touching on the the struggles of, of kind of growing up and the things that we we go through in life. And so um, it seems like we've always saved some of the most deeply emotional songs for last on, on every record. Like we've, Really wanted to end it on that note every time, and so, especially a song like "Born Again," I'd like. Where else can we put this song yeah. on this particular right. record? So,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I also like the the intro you talked about. Uh, just the the guitar work on the intro has always been so. I've just loved it. Like, there's the little bends that are happening that are just so subtle, and mm-hmm. I don't know. It's I think it it, it all comes together so well. This record is actually one of my probably all time favorite. I've put it on different lists where I'm like, oh, what is I, like when we went back and did our quarantine episodes and we were talking about you know records that you think which you were on, Roger, like records that you think people need to check out. This was one of mine because it's always been one of my favorites, and I always just feel like, um, you know, in in the Vagrant world, there were so many, there were a number of big bands. Like you mentioned, the Get Up Kids, obviously Dashboard Confessional, Alkaline Trio. Like there are some pretty big bands mm-hmm. and then you guys were like always there and just always kind of this band I'm like yeah but what about these guys <laughs> like, <laughs> these guys are awesome they're incredible so um it's always been one of my favorites but we're gonna move on to the second album we're gonna talk about which was the follow-up to this that'd be daylight breaking <laughs> record the same day this is kind of funny this ties back to uh when we we're listening to some of the new music we we're listening to because i bought this record the same day i bought page with the lion control nice. which is one of also one of my all-time favorites it's that was that was a great day for for purchasing new music i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um this one is interesting for me and, it, and, and I'm, I'm most interested to hear about this record because there were a few things that went on here Uh, I will, like, up front, I'll say this record took some, a little, a few more listens for it to grow on me personally. I can imagine. Uh, Yeah, well, and so obviously you guys got heavier in sound, and it it felt like you, like you went, if Diagram for Healing was happier than Sadness Prevails, at least in overall sound, this kind of went. Back to not being happy, but maybe more <laughs> angry and sound and less sad. Like I don't know. It's just there's this neat kind of progression that you guys had. And obviously, you know, we mentioned earlier uh, that you've played multiple instruments in the band. Because what, like, so what did you play on this record? Because I've I'm confused <clears throat> by a couple of different things.
2: <laughs> um, well, I should I should talk about the transition from from diagram yeah. to making daylight and what the band ended up becoming eventually because um, I think we were from record to record literally the three records we f- whether it was life or some sort of circumstance it kept us from something always kept us from just being a band that tours 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 album cycle tour. you know just make a record, tour forever, make a record, tour forever. There was always something that kept us from keeping the train moving. And so that's why there's, I guess, from sadness to to diagram, it wasn't a huge time frame, 99 to 2001. So like yeah. one year where we didn't put out a record, but sure, we were probably touring a bit more. But um, when when 911 happened we were on tour in in denver and um just the the whole experience and everything that that happened afterwards we had been touring quite a bit and that happening while we were on tour really shook us to the point that we kind of felt like we needed to take a step back and reconnect with our ourselves and our families it kind of brought that life is fragile mentality hmm. to us in our, in our personal lives and so you know um, a lot of things happened uh, i think we were feeling with every record it's like we we latched on to something and felt like we needed to Move on and try something new and and progress, but in particular from diagram to daylight, as much as we were connecting with like and we're a part of the the pop punk scene and I guess like the the emo scene just because we were on vagrant and I think sometimes we're a hard band to categorize in general um we are now entering our mid twenties and like the beginning, of our, our journey into more of adulthood, more, I guess, maturity as, as songwriters. And so I think between Max, Jeremy and I, we started to have this vision of where we would like to take the band and where we'd want to progress. And I, I think, for the most part, Pat was a little more wanting to stick to to the formula of what was working for us, and we just weren't feeling it. And with the amount of time that we had taken off of tour, and what seemed like a lack of, of interest in wanting to, maybe not a lack of interest, but a lack of inspiration to get the machine going again. Um, Pat ended up joining another band called From Satellite during this time. And he was wanting to try to do both bands. And at the time, we just didn't really take very well to that whole dynamic shift. And um, it was an interesting time because around then uh, we were sharing our practice space which was also like doubled as my recording studio and I shared it with with another with another close friend who's an engineer and who ended up being in from satellite my friend Armon and so everything just seemed the energy shifted and everything was changing and eventually even though we started writing daylight um we could tell like the energy was just different and things got a little complicated because at that point in time we were, um, kind of, we were being managed and we were being offered the ideas and, and, uh, roads to leaving vagrant and, and getting on like a major label. And so, Mm that entire experience was really strange for us. It was like half of us were like, of course, why wouldn't we want to see what new opportunities could be out there for us? But at the same time, it's like, and being dudes that grew up listening to punk music and hardcore music and, and those things being important to us, it was kind of like, at least for me personally, like a weird, just a weird experience that didn't totally feel right. And, Long story short, we, we we played we played showcases, we did demos, we did these things to try to get off of Vagrant and go to a new label. And none of that worked out. None of it felt right for the most part. Um, maybe there was a couple of cool experiences that I could share about that in that weird time. But overall, it was just kind of awkward and, and strange. And with that we felt like we were kind of musically growing apart from Pat. And um, and so th- the gist of it is that we ended up writing the majority and recording nearly all of, most of Daylight Breaking as a three-piece. Hmm. And so we started off, we had written a few songs that never saw the light of day, thank God. <laughs> just, it was just, just, it was, a, it was an awkward growing pain of, of like, kind of moving away from the super poppy sound into a, I don't know, it's if I'm trying to put it to something, it was kind of like, really boring, slow temple bad religion, and it and it just felt weird, but anyway, yeah. we had after we got all of that out of our system, the first few songs that, that were written for the, for daylight were Independence Day and Into the Darkness. And mm-hmm. I bring those up because Pat was still in the band. Um, okay. I wrote those on, on acoustic guitar, brought them to the band. Everybody was jiving. We demoed it. Those were the last two songs Pat played on as far as I can remember. And... Um, those demos, you know, they, they were like the turning point. They were the the gateway into just like experimenting with new stuff. And by then, by the time we started really working on Daylight, um, yes, we told Pat that we wanted to move on without him. And we just wanted to make the record. It wasn't like, Pat, you're out. I'm going to be the new drummer. It was just like, hey, dude. I think you you want to probably focus on from satellite and we probably want to go in a different direction than where you want to go. Um, at least that's what we felt back then. And so that's what we did. And for, I don't know how many months it took for the three of us to write the rest of daylight. Um, we would just set up at our practice space and, I couldn't tell you who was playing what on some of these songs as we wrote them because the three of us can, all four of us really can play every instrument. So um, when it came down to recording, sure. I played drums on almost all the songs except for one, but we shared bass duties between um, Jeremy, Max and I, and later Jeff. Um, But, It seemed like, it felt like we had a... Although we didn't necessarily have a vision, we were all working on the same wavelength. We were really connecting and everything was happening very naturally. And the kind of ironic thing about it is that in our minds, we felt like we were writing the most rebellious to everyone record. We were were writing the record that the three of us wanted to write and we, we just didn't want to think about anything else other than pleasing ourselves. And, yeah. and, um, by then we, you know, whatever weirdness was going on with vagrant, we kind of patched it up and told them, Hey, we're, we're back in a saddle. Let's just do this. And we were very lucky that we went to the label and said, Hey, we, we, Don't want to produce her. We've been demoing our own music since Sadness, and I think by now we feel like we could just make this record ourselves. Um, Back then, i I thought I was uh, (laughs) I thought I was experienced enough and new enough that I could engineer the record and and like whether I don't think I was necessarily convinced that I'd end up mixing the record. I think we kind of decided we would hand that off regardless um and so that kind of afforded us all of this freedom to make this record literally by ourselves in the same studio that we made the other two records and um yeah it was it was interesting we took full advantage of of our freedom in the studio i we probably could have made the record like in <laughs> an eighth of the time that it actually took us to to do it. But I think we were just in our mid twenties, really feeling lucky and wanting to just do the whole, let's move into the studio for a month and make a record. And sure, we we recorded all the music to the record in a month, but it took us probably six months to record the vocals after that, Mm. which we ended up recording at our, lockout studio in in ventura but then we also recorded um here where i live now in in irvine um just in in a bedroom we just set up shop turned two rooms one into the control room one into the vocal booth and we just came here every couple weeks or every month and try to get whatever we could and try to keep as much focus but Imagine not having a producer and realizing like, oh, this is what a producer does. They not only like offer ideas, they crack the whip and make sure that we do all this stuff (laughs) and not take literally half a year to make a record. But yeah, yeah, it was, it was quite the experience. Uh, And so, yeah, we made most of the record by ourselves, the three of us, and to us, when we handed it to Vagrant, we're like, here's the record. The three of us made it. Um I'm probably gonna become the drummer and and we'll get a bass player. Or maybe we I think we might have sorted that out before we handed in the record, but um the label came back and they were and they said, This is awesome. We love all of this. Here's the thing. You recorded brand new day already why doesn't it sound like that version? And we were like, oh, you, you literally want it exactly like that version, which is a very strange thing to think about because Brand New Day was the one song that survived our moment of time where we wanted to leave Vagrant and find a new label. And so that was like our, our leading song, to use to try to find a new label and it was actually a song i think written about leaving vagrant (laughs) (laughs) um
1: yeah that's interesting (laughs) and
2: and if you um and if you ever watch that video of the uh, of it pat's obviously in the band and the recording is not the album recording that recording of the song is was produced in and Mixed by John Feldman of of Goldfinger. Yeah, yeah. So, interesting. When we recorded that song, we actually re recorded The Waiting Hurt with him, also. Mm. That version has not seen the light of day. And I'm not quite sure if it will, but (laughs) it is as polished as you could ever imagine that song being. Yeah. And if you did see, if you saw his play with, like later on with me on the drums, we I think we played it in that way of what right. Feldman did to the song. But anyway, back yeah. to, back to brand new day. The label wasn't stoked on how it came out. I think we either made it slower, changed a couple things dynamically about it, and they were like, "This is an important song on this record. You got to go back in the studio and re-record it." Hmm. And we're like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> all right." Um, we'll try to recreate this, even though we had no idea what the hell we were doing. And yeah, by then Jeff had, we decided I'd be the drummer. Jeff, we had Jeff join the band. And so he ended up playing on brand new day. And when we, uh, went to go record that song, I think, um, Jeremy or Matt, I forget who, either Max or Jeremy came to the studio or right before we went in his, into the studio, we're like, I got another new song. Maybe we could add it to the record. And that, and that song uh, ended up being Laid to Rest. So if you ever listen to, to, to Daylight and you listen to Brand New Day and Laid to Rest, they are from a completely different recording session. And those are the two songs that Jeff played bass on because he had technically already joined the band by then. Right. But interesting. But the rest of the record yeah. we did as a three piece. And right. um it's just so ironic to think about what our mentality was going into making this record and how it was received by the label because I, obviously Vagrant was like a well-oiled machine that had created themselves an empire and I think they truly felt like this is the record that motives made that if they were going to become like a, a modern rock radio band, this could, this could be the record. And to us, we're like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) I guess, you know, like if you guys think so, then sure. I, I, we kind of thought we were writing the anti rock radio rock record. But if that's what this actually sounds like to everybody, then sure, whatever. I mean, (laughs) <laughs> Let's just do it, and yeah. and so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the story behind why mm. and how that record sounds came to be. Yeah, sounds the way it it does, and the and the songwriting's so different is because it's very simple between three dudes. Yeah, and just kind of sharing the duties of of like. Sculpting the songs and right. sharing bass duties between the three of us.
1: Yeah, Aaron, what were your thoughts on this record when you when you put it on for study?
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I listened uh, through it um, today after um, after the uh, the one we just talked about, and uh, yeah, lots of lots of like similar things. You know, it's still dark and poppy and lots of great melodies and harmonies to it and um i yeah it's interesting hearing all kind of the backstory to it because i i probably wouldn't have pieced you know all that together in there and um yeah i mean it's a really enjoyable listen and there was a lot of the songs that i went back to right away and listened to again because they were just so good and uh, yeah i feel like it's a really good follow-up album
1: so let's let's then get into i guess some of the songs that that we picked uh the first one being into the darkness mentioned something about this song I feel it's a little while ago now <laughs> but but you were... Um, oh were you saying it was written was this one of the ones that was written early on
2: yeah uh, it was one of the first songs that I wrote for the record Pat was still in the band we had demoed it with him in the band um, right. and yeah it there uh, there's little weird snippets of sounds if you listen to, to daylight yeah. there's a lot of Weird backwards then, vocals, yeah. Okay, and sounds. I, I, I did have a
1: <laughs> yeah. I did have a note. That I was like, man, and especially a number of the songs that we picked. I was like, oh, there's like some kind of weird like <laughs> talking, whispering. Rever- I just feel like you guys are trying to make me like buy a new car or something like. It's okay, sub- subliminal <laughs> messaging is going on here. But what is the story behind that? Because it does come up a few times.
2: Um, I think being in in, in the three of us kind of walking ourselves away and just getting weird in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> um, our musical our music influences have been very vast throughout the years. And I and I know for sure around this time Neurosis album Times of Grace was a huge influence on us and it's one of the creepiest records ever. Um we we uh we were spending a you know a great deal amount of time together, probably watching weird movies. Uh, one of them, mainly, namely being the movie audition, which we'll obviously get into that song later. But yeah. um, I think we just really wanted to explore the idea of weird, and with the backwards vocal stuff, it just felt like. Let's just do weird, let's just do odd stuff that only we will know what th- is actually being said in, in, you know, if somebody were to, to take, if you were to go through all the, the, the hassle of putting the song into some sort of uh, music production program and reverse yeah. the entire song, you would be able to hear what he's saying probably but i'm not gonna let out with that with that Uh, come on man (laughs) (laughs) i um i did make some notes about the song like i said we it was one of the really three songs that we had while pat was in a band brand new day independence day into darkness um it's a song that ended up getting a radio mix that you can hear on the video if you watch okay. the video, yeah. I think the first chorus goes twice. Some oh, okay, something like that. Yeah. Um, every time I hear this song, I just think about Jawbreaker, Dear You era, uh, yeah, with the palm muting, the, yeah. the low vocal with the high vocal. Um, this was the song that Vagrant chose to be like the front runner to represent the band and to represent the record. Um. I forget if it was Vagrant or our our manager, Kent Sorrell, got Darkness to be like the theme song for the X Games in 20, uh, 2004, oh, I think. Yeah, that's sweet. So um, it's funny because I was listening to, I hadn't listened to either of the records in a while and it, I laughed out loud on numerous occasions at <laughs> like how wildly different, these two records are and the things Jeremy was doing with his vocals. But, um, oh yeah. So when we were demoing this song, um, I recorded all the demos. It was always just Jeremy and I most likely in the middle of the night locked away in the studio. I think I remember when he demoed this song, we, we came out and the sun was out, which happened more frequently than not. But it was our Probably our first exploration into taking things very far with the amount of vocal tracks or tracks in general. If you listen to that record in in particular, there's like so much crap going on. And it's just, we just wanted to, cause we could, cause there wasn't anybody to tell us no. Um, but like when we demoed that song, it, all those ridiculous amount of harmonies that's the birth of that whole idea, and it's kind of become if you listen to anything we did afterwards, it's like seems like it was an important part of the puzzle. Um, yeah. But I remember when we had to go record the song for real. I think we had to do it a couple different times, because yeah. as you know, Jeremy's voice has changed considerably throughout the years, from right the very, from the seven inches to where we're at now. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that the song was a lot harder for him to sing by the time we were recording the record because he had written it maybe in a key, at a key or way that is harder to to do. So it was quite the battle to get that song done, but he did it. And there's a lot of vocals, and you you, you hear them. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's what I got for for darkness.
1: Yeah, the I don't. Aaron, did you get a chance to see the music video for this one?
3: Uh, no, no, I, I didn't today. No,
1: it's it's always the. I mean, <laughs> oh, God. yeah. Jumping back real quick, did you guys? You guys didn't have any videos on diagram, did you? I don't think I've seen any. Uh,
2: no, we didn't do any.
1: But so, you, so you had I think two on this one, which we, we talk about both songs. But uh, this video reminds me of. Um, <laughs> Did you ever? I'm sure you've seen the video Forgot You Where I Want You by the Flies. Do you remember that song? I don't. It was off of, uh, I mean, I think its biggest thing was on Disturbing Behavior. It was like on that soundtrack or whatever. It's like, uh, there's like, anyways, there's these, the band is playing on the edge of this cliff and all like these kids, <laughs> these high school kids are running and they're like lemmings off the cliff, right? Yeah. So it just kind of reminded me of that a little bit. But um, Aaron, what were your thoughts on on Into the Darkness?
3: Yeah, this is an awesome song. This is one of the ones that I immediately went back to and, and listened to again just cuz it was so many kind of cool parts. So yeah, I um definitely recognized or picked up on kind of the the eerie feel to the vocals, especially in that kind of that first verse where it's just, you know, the bass and the vocals and and so yeah, I was intrigued to hear kind of where the song was going to go from there, but I mean, it's got a really catchy chorus and lots of great melody and harmonies, which, which I love. And you know, oftentimes that's what will, will make a song for me. And, and so, yeah, I thought this was a, um, a great track.
1: The, the bridge into, I don't know if it's the final chorus or whatever, but just the way it kind of like sort of comes, comes back a little bit on the bridge and then just punches you right in the face to come back into that courses. And it's kind of done in a, in a, a different sort of way. If I remember correctly, like it feels like it doesn't, I don't think it just stops and then hits you like there's maybe you guys throw a little reverse effect of something there's a, underneath the, Yeah, there's a little like a swell almost reverse
2: vocal swell that goes into there. Yeah. Um the pause that happens with the music it wasn't recorded that way. It was oh. it was an edit that was done because probably Rich was like you got to put a pause there. And so we just like literally when it was being mixed we yep. just cut the music out for that section, and, <laughs> and so that it, the chorus will come in harder. Uh,
4: yeah. So, and it really does. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> <Like> it's, <laughs> it's
1: one of the standout parts of that song for me is yeah just how hard that chorus hits after the bridge. So good call on Rich's part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: The, um, make it, real quick about that video. That was. One of the greatest experiences gone terribly wrong for me personally. <laughs> I Why is that? I showed up to the shoot uh, like really early in the morning. It was just like a one day affair at like some uh, green screen studio in LA. And as soon as I get there, within like five to 10 minutes, I come down with a fever. Oh. And like I had gotten the flu right before we start doing this video And like, it was such a nightmare for me because at that point I'm playing drums and I'm the one that has to really look like I'm playing in time to the song. And like, I remember when, when we were set up, they just had like one PA speaker blasting the song in my face and it just wasn't, it wasn't cutting it because maybe for one, I wasn't used to doing that sort of thing yet. And, and I was feeling awful. So it was such an awkward experience and then of course all that acting and stuff and all those people that were in the video and it just being this weird fake grass field and a (laughs) green screen it was just so like what is this gonna look like
1: later right and of course it's 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 going to look moody. It's
2: going to look very dated when you watch it in <laughs> <Yeah>. 2020. <laughs>
1: Aaron, you need to go watch it. You haven't seen it. You should. You should go watch yeah, it. Yeah, I'll it's go I'll look it up tomorrow. <laughs> it's it's a memorable video. Um, let's get into the next one that we're going to talk about, which is Death in Numbers. In- something on here because it's been forever since i've looked at the track listing but at least on apple music it's wrong yes they've got songs swapped and so i was uh i'd written it's what did you say it's death and numbers and where did you go right yeah are those yeah they're and switched so, yeah which is funny because like where did you go the course is obviously drilling that name into your head yeah, right yeah but for whatever reason it didn't dawn on me when i was like writing down songs like oh i love this song and then uh and then you had mentioned which songs you wanted to pick i was like oh that's interesting and then you're like oh those are actually swapped like (laughs) this is the one that starts this way i'm like oh oh good we're actually liking the same song we want to talk about the same song it's just i have the wrong title here so um yeah, Aaron, real quick, why don't you share your thoughts on, on this one, and let's see if you listen to the right one. <laughs> yeah,
3: well, uh, I, I have Death and Numbers slash Where Did You Go, so I, I'm, uh, I'm not sure which, because I, I listened, and then I went back to just the text so you send David saying the songs, and I was like, yeah. oh, which? Because I listened on Spotify, so I was like, oh, is it yeah. normal is on it here r- then? And Yeah. Is and, it right uh, on Spotify? It's you wrong run? on Spotify.
2: It's wrong on both.
3: Okay, so anyways, well, whatever song I listen to... <laughs> <laughs> had really good melodies and harmonies again. Like that—that's what stood out to me, and I've, you know, said it lots of times. Just great vocals, and that just—it adds so much um, to a song to have those things stand out. And uh, so that—that that was, uh, yeah, the standout parts for me on the song,
1: if it's the right one. <laughs> Do you remember if? Because <laughs> like this song, this is one of the most memorable songs on the album for me because it's—I think it really encapsulates everything that you guys were doing at that time because it literally has everything dynamically in this song right like uh what do we got we got it's quiet it's loud that's (laughs) that's pretty pretty standard um there's again the near like whisper singing Mm. different weird stuff going on oh yeah um there's also screaming in this song Mm -hmm. which is different for you guys because i don't outside of you know like maybe a yelling like gang vocal sort of thing i don't know if you guys had any points where there was legit just like straight up screaming and it's so heavy at points mm-hmm. um there's i can just think of i think uh, if you want to call it the bridge or whatever where the good the guitars just hit that one chord but just like da like just kind of drive on mm-hmm. it it's so it's so big but um yeah, this why don't why don't you share why this is one of your? I mean, maybe those are all the reasons why this is one of your favorite songs. It's just it does it all, and it does it so. It's almost like it's it's a song that goes like the next step. You go, what are they going to do next? Mm. What are they going to do? It's you know from one piece to the next is so good. I, it, I
3: must have listened to the wrong song because I, I don't remember <laughs> those parts. <laughs>
1: yeah, now you need to go listen to well, I guess on on Spotify and Apple Music it's listed as "Where Did You Go." Um, but it's, that's actually death in numbers. You got to listen to it. You'll okay. know it once you hear it, but it's yeah, such, yeah. A, such a great song.
2: Um, I also wrote loud, quiet, loud in my, in my notes. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I think I love this song, uh, an extremely large amount because it really does encapsulate whatever, whatever writing and working, dynamic and that energy that was going on between Max and, and Jeremy and I, I feel like it is the most perfect representation on this song in particular. And, and you and what you were saying about it has everything. I kind of feel like this is a song that if we were to bring all of our influences into one song to ever represent this band is it would be, it would be this one, I guess. Right. On. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, the screaming, it, they are gang vocals. They're, they're a couple of our friends. Um, I, I brought them up earlier in, in this, uh, the band in control. They're, they're mm-hmm. like, they're truly like the, to, to me, they're like the, one of the best, if not the best, punk hardcore band to ever come out of, of Oxnard. And the singer of that band, Ryan Fordette, is is one of Max's best friends. Um and we just really, really wanted to get him on a no motive song. And so we had him, um, our our friend Aaron Belcher, who also played in another hardcore band with Max back in the day uh for for a while called Stand Your Ground and then um our friend Brandon we just we just had like we were recording all these vocals here in Orange County where um I think Aaron and Brandon were living here at the time but Ryan had a drive from Oxnard uh it just like we really wanted to represent all these things that meant something to us even though it was just Bunch of dudes screaming bloody murder into the microphone. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like the this ha- also has like the the weird backwards stuff very much. Uh, this is by far. Um, so uh, in in terms of band influences from obviously, there's very obvious ones that we've spoken about numerous occasions about. Um, but with those punk bands, uh, once we started touring heavily and riding in a van and spending a lot of time with each other, specifically around this era, we were really, really, really loving listening to Neurosis and, and the band Garbage Okay. and, um, and uh, I, I think we really wanted to bring the, this weird sci-fi eeriness that Garbage possesses and this crazy haunting heaviness of neurosis. And so that part that you were talking about with like the... Yeah. We, it wasn't a thing that we had ever done in the past, and now it's very commonplace. We tune a guitar down to like extremely low tuning which is right. very popular now, but maybe not as popular yeah. back then. And it, it, it just added to that pad of of distortion and, and overdrive and heaviness. And, you know, uh, I think that just whenever I listen to that song, I feel like I if I was to go to the grave feeling, did I accomplish anything? that's I'd be like yeah we at least I've made death in numbers with my friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: and then they m- mislabeled it on all the streaming services so no one is actually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully that's uh, amazing. thankfully
2: that doesn't drive me absolutely crazy but it is annoying every time i look at it but whatever
1: (laughs) yeah no doubt and can someone not just like fix that or is it just like so low on someone's radar that it doesn't i think
2: it's that i think it's the very not important to anybody except for the three of us
1: (laughs) yeah yeah all right let's get into another one then we're going to talk about and you you brought this one up a few minutes ago Audition. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen it so where does <laughs> is that what the song's about or what's the deal there yeah
2: um, so while we were making this record my brother um, showed the this movie to me who and I and I ended up I don't know if he shared it to all of us at the same time or if I watched it first and then I passed it on to them to, to Max and Jeremy but um, it was it's a movie made by Takashi Mike who's who's known well for the movies Ichi the killer and Battle royale he's, he's like classic super violent slasher gory uh, filmmakers um, but audition <laughs> I always tell this to people it's it's a love story and um, <laughs> it's funny because I I actually um. I asked my friend in, in Australia if she would like to watch it with me at the same time. And I, I hadn't seen the movie in at least f- five years. And so right. at the time of me asking her if, if, if she'd be into watching it and me saying that it's a love story and me thinking it would be really funny to her to tell her this. We ended up watching the movie and I'm like, oh, my God, this is so much more like fucked up than I remember this movie being. <laughs> Um, and I don't really want to talk about the movie itself. Uh, yeah, it, it, is, it is a joke to say that it's a love story, even though it's technically right. kind of a love story. But um, like I said, it's made by this dude who's known for gore. And, and, yeah. it, and it goes there. But anyway, the song, it, it really impacted us. Uh, or the movie really impacted us. And, and is one of, it is one of our favorite movies of all time. And um, we just want Jeremy wanted to write an ode to the movie, and (laughs) I think I wanted to bring this song up also because this song was not written with me on drums, and and so Jeremy wrote wrote it on bass. It starts on bass. It's the the it's the downstroking thing. It's a total Jeremy song. (laughs)
1: I was gonna, I was gonna ask because, like, yeah, the opening riff on this song, I've never been sure what it is. Like, so is it just all bass, or is it layered? Like, there's, yeah, that's just bass. It's beautiful. It sounds great. Um,
2: and then Max played drums on the album, and whenever we would play this song live, which I did, do not think it ever went well. Uh, I mean, it never went over well with the audience right. i think we've thoroughly weirded people out every time we did it because we would play it we would get off of our instruments and switch to play this one song um okay but i just love that we just didn't give a flying fuck about anything and <laughs> even though we have our roles in a band we wanted to make a song where we switch and so um the the guitar work on that song i think i'd I think I came up with some of those ideas beforehand, but by the time we get we get to the second chorus, that's like a that's like a one taker of just jamming on the guitar, I think. Mm. Um I think there are two tracks of guitar, but like the one that's most prominent in the mix, that's just like trying to vibe out, you know? Yeah. Um
1: it's I love it. Like I, I love that it actually stays quiet mm. and you know, sort of mellow for the whole song. Aaron, did you have some thoughts on this one?
3: Yeah, well, it's funny that uh, that I was inspired by a movie because one of my notes literally says "sounds like a song that could be in a movie," mm. <laughs> yeah, <perfect. laughs> which which shows that the song brings more to mind, you know, than just the music. You know, it makes me start to think of something bigger. Like, what could this song um, add to make something else more dramatic? Or, and so I, I think you achieved what you were hoping for: being inspired by a movie. Um yeah I it kind of brought to mind I don't know if you know the band uh The Beautiful Mistake they were Yeah I heard of them. I um, mean you know, kind of a older kind of rock emo indie band. For sure yeah. Um yeah so that that's what I kind of thought of I mean kind of the start of the song and um uh, yeah the the vocals bring kind of a really unique kind of haunting vibe as you've mentioned to the song and and uh yeah it's a a really different and dynamic song for sure. We so, did you say, <laughs> we did some weird you stuff said you, on that song.
1: You, you played. Yeah, you said you played guitar on that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because one of my notes was just like how much I loved just like the delicate kind of guitar that was going on. Nice. Like listening with listening with headphones, mm-hmm. especially just kind of absorbing it. It's it's a it's a nice sort of shift um, on the album. To like I said, to just stay quiet like that, to stay kind of more—it's a nice quiet but full band song, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not like you're oh, it's just a single guitar type thing. It's the full band. It's pretty great. But um, let's move into the last song then that we're going to talk about, which is "Brand New Day." <laughs>
0: writing off all of us today. Once invited, you're trying to push us away. Don't try and play the innocent guy. then say hi to me, cause I can't
1: has long been one of my favorites on this album and i think um it's just how you know that opening guitar riff on that song it just kind of kicks you right off and it just sort of goes into it like and you 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 talked about the music video earlier because i can remember i'm not sure which vagrant dvd it was because i did have a couple (laughs) but like watching that video on repeat uh Just because I'm I'm a sucker for music videos where it's just the band in like, whether it's their actual jam space or a jam space, just kind of like playing in close quarters. Um, But I've always had one question about that video. And that's who won the basketball game? (laughs) No one. (laughs) No one. Well, no one hit a basket, I don't think, in the whole video. Probably
2: not. I really don't think anybody made a basket the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. That was our practice space. That is where we, we, we wrote everything, that room. Um, and that's where we did record some of the vocals for the record and, and all that stuff. So yeah, it, it's, it is a special place to us. And that building still exists. We don't obviously have that room anymore, but... Um, funny, the new song was recorded the vocals and guitars were recorded like down the hall from that room because one of our friends of has, has a a practice space in the same building. But yeah, that that song that I if I try to forget about all the the journey the song took and the journey we took during this song's existence, I'm able to enjoy it. But yeah. there's been so much there's been so many strange things and, and like moments in this band's existence that kind of circulate around that song. So it's kind of kind of hard to fully connect with it at its root. But I do remember when we first wrote it. It was like it felt like a really special song. You know, when we when we wrote it, we've recorded that song so many times. I demoed it. Right. The first. The first demos we made, like that whole weird, awkward-sounding, bad religion-y thing that I was talking about, yeah, we recorded that with Steve evitts which I was like, I get to record with Steve evitts This is fucking awesome. He's made some of my favorite records, like Snapcase and Saves the Day and stuff. Um, and if I was ever to to Pinpoint two producers that were a huge influence on making me realize what it takes to be a studio musician. It was Steve Evans and John Feldman, because, mm. and I and no knock on Trevor or Chad. They they pretty much like they let the band just do their thing for the most part. Those dudes, and I'm very thankful for that type of experience. But Steve Evans is the first person that. Ever taught me that the idea of all down strokes just sounds punchier fuller better for a lot of a lot of like applications in in playing and i just remember with both of those dudes and the tempo that brand new day is at both times i was like you really think i can play this this fast all downstrokes are you kidding yeah. me and like that has always stuck with me and and like i've decided to punish other musicians with that kind of mentality <laughs> and being being in the engineer's seat but um yeah that that's probably the the song that kind of established this new sense of of uh, energy that was a little bit more mature, I guess, compared to to diagram because that is the song that is the fir- that's like the first song that survived that made it onto daylight that existed right after the diagram era of the band, you know, with Pat still in the band and us having recorded it obviously for that for that video. Yeah. So
1: yeah, yeah, that always kind of confused me with the video because in this one you're on bass and then in into the darkness you're on drums yeah. and i remember watching and not really like knowing at that time you know sort of what had been what had gone on i was like Wait, what is happening here like this is so it's just kind of interesting to see sort of the i guess um the two eras of the band two eras on, for sure in that, yeah, yeah in that regard Aaron. Aaron, what were your thoughts on on this song Yeah, it's
3: got a a great chorus again. I love how the big guitars and drums fit together on this one. It's not necessarily anything complex, but I just thought it was well thought out and complements each other. Um, For the bridge, I like that little bit of guitar flair kind of before the guitar cuts out with just the bass rolling. I thought that was really cool. And then uh, when it goes back into the chorus, it kind of has that little kind of fade into uh, where it kind of drops down mm. and kind of then fades back in, and yeah, this was another song that I listened to again r- right after a second time, just because it was such a cool song and, and it had lots of standout parts on it.
1: So, did you say, Roger, that it, it was for sure or possibly about you know, kind of like the current situation at that time with Vagrant Records?
2: It was kind of about that, yeah.
4: We...
1: Yeah, because it's <laughs> it's it's interesting to me because it takes a very similar. Vibe lyrically for myself, anyways, to actually the song So What Mm. off of uh sadness, Mm -hmm. and so part of me kind of likes to envision that it's about the same person, but um, the insight that you've given the you know, maybe maybe not the
2: funny thing about these these angst filled songs that the band has made, they're 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 you know, usually always not usually, they're always like personal type of relationship (laughs) songs, and it's funny to think about like. a lot of the lyrical content and 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 the journey that we've we've been on with as friends with each other and and the label, you know, it's like, oh, that's crazy to have these like really angry songs. And I'm actually, we are actually really close friends with this person that this song might be about, but it sounds really angry. And then, you know, like a <laughs> brand new day, thinking about it being yeah. about like label frustrations or just that sort of idea, like. I'm, we are all very extremely thankful for everything that, that Vagrant has ever done for us. So, uh oh, you're, you're okay. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it, the, it's funny you bring up that, uh, that dropout in the song, like that little dynamic shift in, in Brand New Day. Um, a little tidbit about the record itself. It was actually mixed twice. It, the first time it was mixed by Chad Blinman who mixed sadness and, and diagram and we sat and punished him at the studio for like however many days it took him to, to mix it. It was just us hanging out with him in LA and we got every little trick that we wanted in the book, all the, all of the nuances that we wanted to exploit and like, you know, we, I'm pretty sure we just punished the shit out of him and, and and he mm-hmm. and he mixed and we were really happy with it and then the label was like we should probably get like a radio mix for into the darkness it would probably be good so we we had this guy Chris Shaw mix mm-hmm. that one song and the label was so stoked on how that came out that they were like we should probably just have him mix the whole record mm-hmm. And at the time we were like, I mean, that song does sound really powerful. Why not? Sure. If you really want to do, if you guys truly feel like this is the move we got to do, sure, let's do it. And so we, we sent him the files. He mixed it. He did a bunch of things in the mix, like countless things. We typed up an elaborate email and sent it to this guy and in hindsight and you now that like I just have spent a great deal of my life as an engineer now I'm thinking about those notes that we made him and I'm like oh man this is nitpicking to the highest degree there is no way on earth any mix engineer would ever entertain like 90% of what we want to have changed and like and back then like now when you're mixing a record for somebody so much of it's done on the computer and you can make so many changes pretty easily i'm sure back then whatever he had to do was like i'm not going to spend 6 hours just for this like 5 second thing that you guys want right. so if <laughs> if you if you listen to two songs on the record rather closely brand new day in that dropout Where it's just the one guitar and like the weird kind of lo fi drums. That moment of the song is actually the Chad Blindman mix. Mm. Because the Chris Shaw mix at that moment of the song, he did some really strange effect thing that like nobody liked. Mm. And so when it went, the album went to mastering and our manager was at mastering in San Francisco, he's like, I'm gonna have this dude fix this. He's just gonna fly in this one part from Chad's mix, and it's gonna be this is what the song's gonna sound like. Yeah. And mm-hmm, cool. in that song in particular, we're like, "That's perfect. You did it." Yeah. But if you listen to audition, there's a dropout that happens after the sec- the, the the last chorus, um, and it goes back to the bass by itself and it's like the kick drum that comes in. Yeah. If you listen to yeah. that section, um, on the Chris Shaw mix, I'm hitting the hi-hat to keep time, but it was never meant right. to be in the mix of the song. Mm-hmm. And so we, again, took the Chad Blinman mix for that couple seconds of the song mm. and flew it in. And so if you listen to those two songs now, I guarantee you, especially on audition, you'll be able to
1: notice it. That's cool. That's cool. I did want to say, as we wrap up kind of with this record, that you had mentioned um, on Diagram, just kind of about the track sequencing, especially when it came to picking your closer. I feel like the track sequencing on this record, on Daylight, is so... So good, because the record starts strong, but I also find it's kind of got this thing where it it brings you in and gets better as you go, and there's a whole stretch of songs, which we covered um, a few of them, because it goes specifically from Death in Numbers in my notes through Brand New Day, like, Mm -hmm. through those songs. It's just a good chunk of songs showing off the different sides of the band, so uh, that was something I actually noticed more now, not even so much when I was kind of first falling in love with the record, but... Um, so that's pretty awesome, but yeah, I did want to say thanks, man, for for doing oh, this. Oh, thanks and, for having uh, me, taking you know, the time, dude. I, yeah, kind of kind of a different take on on our normal episode. I was like, why not reach out and see if he's down? And lo and behold, he's down. <laughs> so sweet. I, I um,
2: greatly, greatly appreciate you guys even wanting to make an episode talking about any anything we've ever done. So I appreciate I appreciate you both.
1: Now, now we've done two of them technically. Yes. So there you go. Um but yeah, thanks again for doing it, man. And uh did you wanna did you wanna throw out any social media links or anything?
2: Oh geez. I mean we got the no motive official <laughs> Instagram, which uh you know it it we try to to update it with some something, if anything is ever happening. Um please check out the new NARD Core for Life compilation on indecision records. Uh we're to the second press of that vinyl now. It's available wherever you listen to music digitally. It the uh, first new No Motive song in almost a decade with Pat back in the band playing drums. And um, that was a lot of fun to do. And I'll just close by saying that uh, Max just sent us a new riff like about a week ago. Huh. So, hey, man, you never know what could happen.
1: You never know. There it is. Well, thanks again, man.
2: Absolutely. Thank you.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to the show, friends. Uh, Just a reminder, if you want to get more, if you like what we do here and you want to support us, uh, we're on Patreon now. We've also got merch. I didn't mention that at the beginning of the show. We've got... T-shirts that you can get now as well. One of them actually has our faces on it while we're riding a horse. It's pretty, pretty epic. All those details are at our website, growingpunkpod.com. You can find our Patreon there. You can find the merch there. You can find everything we've got going on there. And of course, follow us on our social medias at Growing Punk Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And that'll do it. So bye bye.
0: <sighs> Audition is such a brilliant film because the whole movie is a build up to the last fifteen minutes.